Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! Welcome back to another episode of the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, we are headed to Massachusetts to speak with Deborah Herman. Deborah is a publisher, spiritual teacher, speaker, and author. Her latest book, Spiritual Writing from Inspiration to Publication, is out now. So, Deborah, welcome to the RV. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for stopping by. Of course. I'm ready to get in. And it's got books in there. I love that. Yeah, it's all about books, good stories, and good energy. So, Deborah, I saw on your website that your nickname is Debbie Doolittle. Can you tell us where that nickname comes from? Well, it's actually, it was Debbie Do It All. Well, I like the way you say it, but it just meant that I was always very enthusiastic as a child and just embracing everything and wanting to, you know, my brother makes jokes. We're only 10 months older and we were the first students in our elementary school and I designed the flag and I drew the, you know, I wrote the song. I just... You know, I hit the ground running when I was born, you know, mm-hmm. so that's why that's why I um, got that nickname. Plus, I even some people in publishing or um, Desiree, who uh, introduced us, she said, I, I don't know how to describe you. And that's another reason I have the do it all. So <laughs> yeah. you said that you are an eternal optimist. Yes. I always look at the bright side and expect the good things to happen. So where does your optimism come from? I It's from results. I've seen things that I just thought were the worst and it's not it's not going to happen. And I thought it was supposed to happen this way. And then I just talk to my talk to God and my spirit guides and I say well why is it not the way I wanted it and then it's like patience just be patient and then something better does happen it, it's happened that way uh, you know with the house I'm living in now and uh, I wanted uh, this one house and and it didn't happen and um, but actually I found a house that was exactly the house I'd always dreamed about and it wasn't even 
for sale when I thought I was going to buy a different house. So things like that, it's really based in faith. I've had uh, people might think because I'm an optimist that I've had everything the easy way and that's the exact opposite. Nothing has been easy and a lot of it's my own fault, but I, I just keep on going and saying, okay, okay, it's there's got to be a reason. So yeah, that's where that comes from. I think that is an amazing way to see the world. Also, Deborah, you mentioned at the age of 10, you wanted to be a lawyer, but oh, yeah. then changed. So, yeah, completely. So how did you first get into writing? I had decided when I was very young, because I would see things in the world that I thought weren't just. And I always, I always tried to stand up for what was right and be a voice of reason. And so that's why when you're that age, you think, okay, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to fight for justice. I'll become a lawyer someday. But I also had an artistic side um, very early on. And I didn't realize that I was also a writer, but I was on Facebook a few years ago and someone who knew me in fifth grade contacted me we were students together and she remembered a poem I had written in fifth grade it stuck in her mind and I realized that I must have always loved words and expressing myself in that way but my actual turning point was when I was in law school and my brother was an amateur comedian. He's he's hilariously funny. Again, 10 months older than me. And I always thought he was just the best. And I was really stressed out going to law school. It's tough. So I would go to the comedy club almost every night. And uh, the owner of the club said, you know, you don't drink enough to make you taking up this bar stool worthwhile. And he put me to work writing interviews with the early comedians of that day. So I discovered a love for taking people's stories. And then, I, I mean, I wasn't a great writer back then, but I just loved it so much. And, and there are some other stories that I have in, in my book about um, meeting my first spiritual teacher and all of it converging to drawing me in the direction of writing. So I did a dual degree between uh, law and journalism. And that way I got the practical side of writing and it made sense to the law school and it made sense to the journalism school, even though my intention wasn't to become a media lawyer, you know, or to do, you know, law as journalism. I just wanted to write. So I did it. <laughs> That's how it came together. It was just following these very incongruous signs and just going for it because it, it's just what I felt in my heart. You followed the signs. I really believe in synchronicity. Oh, yeah. The more you fight it, the worse it is. Because every time you, you don't follow the signs and this internal sense of the connection to what I call the divine path, everything goes wrong. And it's just, it's never going to fit. And, and then when you get into that synchronicity with 
this divine calling, it all seems to fall into place. So it's like, why fight it? Totally. <laughs> you know, even if it seems absurd, which it did to a lot of people, they could not believe, you know, that I was going in that direction. It's like, what are you thinking? And then it's like people who knew me, oh, that makes sense. You know, that's really you. Mm. Yeah, it requires courage. It does. It does require what people refer to as a thick skin. But I've reached a point in my life. I, I, it was so funny the other day. You see, I have a drawing pad. I was talking to someone and I was saying, you know, I'm feeling really nervous because on my website now I'm showing my artwork. I do automatic drawing. And they asked me, well, are you nervous that, you know, now you're telling people about your spiritual work and you're doing interviews about being intuitive and all of this? I thought about it and I said, no, I'm I'm old enough and I've been doing it long enough that, hey, I'm either your cup of tea or I'm not. You're going to believe I'm crazy or you're going to believe I'm not crazy and I don't care. I was more worried if people liked my artwork. And I and then I realized that's like an artist. That's a normal thing. That sense of like, oh no, will they like me? Will they like my work? It wasn't because I was worried about having the courage to have people know about my gifts. I'm over that. And I hope that other people feel that way too when they step into their own gifts and power. That's you are who you are, and you're just not gonna change that. You know, <laughs> wow, we have so much in common. I know. I'm so glad. I was so worried because, as you know, you know, I was having time zone difficulty, but I'm so happy to be here with you and to be speaking with someone who, who resonates with what I'm saying. It's just so comfortable. And I'm sure your audience um, feels that way as well when you know you're not the only one. Yes, there are many people who feel these this way about how to look at the world. I count on that. Yes, and it's so amazing. I have been receiving some guests here who told me that they just they are having the best time of their lives since they started doing something creative. You don't need to be to know how to paint or to be an excellent writer i think it's just the no. fact that yeah, you spend like let's say 30 minutes of your day doing something that you like even if it's just doodling or you know what i mean i have often said as far as writing that there are writers who write because they want to and they want to be a writer and that's their career. And then there are writers who write because they really have to, they're drawn to share a message. But I would, if I had my wish, I would wish that everyone would keep a journal or write a memoir that maybe no one is ever going to read because it's very rare in the publishing world that someone's gonna to wanna to read someone's memoir who is completely unknown. Now, of course, I, I would say that I can help people write memoirs that are that people want to read. But, you know, for the most part, it's the the action of seeing the connectedness of everything that happens in your life and that internal exploration 
So that form of creativity where you're, you're learning as you're writing and you're seeing things and connecting with this divine inner voice, even if it's not meant for anybody to read, it's very worth doing. And the same thing with artwork and crafts. And, you know, I used to, I still do, but make jewelry and it wasn't gorgeous, but I loved you know, I love playing with shiny things and stringing them. And, you know, it's just wonderful. You were doing crochet. I know that you had back pain or you had. Some... No, I, I had to get a cortisone shot. I was making it. My, my daughter does conventions. She's an artist. And she said, oh, mom, come with me and learn. Since you know how to crochet, make these little animals. They're called amigurumis or something. And I made these little like um, seahorses and these really cute things. But I I needed a cortisone shot in my hand. That's how overboard I went because I just did it too much. But, you know, I'm a little obsessive. <laughs> if I find something I like doing. Oh. I'm obsessed. I realized that one year ago when I was interviewing someone, she is specialized in ADHD. And she said, Lucia, you have ADHD oh. symptoms. Uh, yeah, it's my superpower. It's my superpower as well. It and is. You know, I was so happy. I called my daughter and I said, I realized why I'm so different. It's because I have ADHD. And my daughter stopped and looked at me and said, Mommy, you were the only person who didn't know you. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody else can see it. And and I just have learned to live with it and be cool. Because, like, I'm not going to show you what... This is... All right. I have to admit, that's a backdrop. I mean, it's a it's a cloth. But it's backdrop. Okay. Wow. And it, I mean, it's my dream bookshelf. I shouldn't reveal the truth about this, but I must. It's, you know, but if you if you saw the rest of my office, because of the ADHD and the creativity, I have pictures and books and color and 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 nostalgic souvenirs everywhere because it makes me other people might go crazy and say, oh, it's too much. For me, it stimulates me and it makes me happy <laughs> to look at pretty things and, and bright pictures. And and then I have a, a bulletin board where I have to put all the things I need to remember. They I have to see them. I have to write everything. And, right. And put it, post-it notes everywhere. We are so sisters, Deborah. I know. I know. And, and I also believe that you know, when they say that people like us are just not neurotypical, but I really believe that so many of us are in an evolutionary process because the hardware that we've come into this world with, meaning the physical brain, we're all going through this expansion and using different parts of our brain. And you know, we're very adaptable people. So if there's ever a crisis, they say that people who, people want to hang out with us because if yeah. there's ever a crisis, we'll we'll know what to do. Yeah. And Deborah, your book, Spiritual Writing from Inspiration to Publication, 
was originally written in 2002, but you've yes. rewritten it and published it. So what has changed in 20 years? Oh, very specifically, I wrote the book in 2002 because at that time I was a, a literary agent. I was also writing books, but I was a spiritual teacher and working with people on a spiritual path just because that's what I was doing. And for me, because I was surrounded with people who were on the same wavelength, it didn't seem difficult. But when I got out into the publishing world and different writers conferences, I saw the agents did not know what to do with this material. And yet people were writing it. They were, I understood their drive to need to share um, their information. And that's why I originally pitched and wrote the book. And I was originally going to call it, God told me to write it. But as an agent and as a publishing insider, I always tell writers, don't say that, unless, even if it's true. And it probably is true. But when you're dealing with the business world of publishing and literary agents, you don't want to say that because they they may not be on your wavelength. So, you know, even if God did tell you to write it or, you're, you know, or your spiritual guide said you're going to sell this, you have to also navigate the physical world and the physical world and the spiritual world have different rules, different timetables. And so my goal at that time and more so now is to teach writers, any writer, but especially spiritually driven or mission driven writers how to be professional and how to write books that people will read because they can get past the gatekeepers. And I, I learned a lot of that just by being in the trenches all these years. And from 2002 to now, publishing has changed, technology has changed, I have changed. I'm more willing now to share the the real stories behind the seven lessons of Soul Odyssey that I have in the book. I'm more willing to say, hey, I'm like you. I'm not this person standing, you know, in the sidelines telling you what to do. I've struggled with these things and straddling the fence of the spiritual world and the, you know, the legal world or the journalism world, you know. So I've been there. I am there. Um, I've been on every side of publishing. So uh, that's why I, I rewrote from beginning to end. And I thought it, the book was supposed to come out a lot sooner, but once I got in there and I saw what it was, I just said, no, I have to take time and just rewrite every word. So this is a brand new book, you know, but it's, you know, a little bit like the other one. Mm -hmm. I so. got to. And you talk a lot about the seven lessons that help people understand the path to anticipate our vulnerabilities absolutely you said it the best yeah. that's exactly right and even if you didn't know if it was lessons or levels it's levels and lessons so you're actually right there as well okay it's to understand our vulnerabilities because there is positive energy and there is negative energy i don't want to get 
too deeply into esoteric metaphysics, but you know, I believe that there is positive and negative. And if you're very positive, negative would really like to knock you off your path. If we are in a fight for balance and, you know, we want the positive energy, which is not based in fear, not based in hopelessness, but is based in faith and love and optimism, we want that energy to hold up the world because the other energies tear us down and make us fight. And, you know, if people were in a state of love and if they were in a state of balance, they wouldn't have the energy to want to fight each other. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, and in a way, the Ten Commandments would be like, oh, of course, I'm not going to steal. Why would I steal? Why would I, you know, why would I covet something? Why would I murder someone? You don't because you're, you're at this balanced, internally harmonious state, but we are humans. So we come into this world with certain lessons and um, there's seven of them, but uh, you know, I can, I can do a demo if you'd like, um, yes. and you could always, you could always edit it out if you don't like the result, but I, but I use automatic writing when I'm doing what I call a soul progression for someone. Now I know nothing about you except that I really like your energy, but I'm going to do an automatic writing. I just let the pen tell me the answers. Now this I'm doing uh, actual writing, courage, tolerance, self-protection, self-love, ego, love of humanity, and God love. So those are the seven lessons. I'm going to see which ones are your vulnerabilities, and then we'll talk about those. And if you want to know about any others, you can ask me, but that's a quick way to go through them. Wonderful. Aha. Uh -huh. Now you don't have to agree with me. Okay. Okay. But I'm going to just do a demo reading for you of how these work. So the, the beginning lessons, courage and tolerance, fine. You'll always, we, even if we've come into this lifetime at a state where we didn't need to, you know, where we were maybe, on the other side, we were evolved and we maybe we talked to the spiritual council and we said, okay, I want to go at this time and help, even though I'm perfectly evolved and centered and I don't need to learn anything. Well, when you go back into the earth classroom, you start over in a way and you're human. So you have to experience things in a different way. And so it, you'll come in with certain um, strengths and maybe you'll pass through those lessons quickly, but you're going to still come in with a few vulnerabilities. The one that first shows up and you'll be able to validate this for me would be self-protection that there have been times in your life when you have been trusting of the wrong people and maybe not trusting enough of the right people. Does that resonate with you? You nailed it. Okay. Now let's get to one that you're going to be surprised 
So self-love, ego, love of humanity, for whatever your spirit guides want of you, you're fine. God love. You have wrestled with your understanding of God and surrendering to God and not being angry at God. Does that make sense? A lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I know. Deborah, unbelievable. It works. And it's really, I did it for you because I wanted to show you the power. This is not just this list that people can check off because no one would would know what you do with your show and say, oh, that's her struggle. And I appreciate your willingness to let me reveal that in such a public way. But it's very individual. It's between you and your spirit guides. But those are the areas that in this lifetime you'd be getting your lessons. Deborah, how do you do it? I wish I knew. It's just because, and I'm joking about that. I, 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 it would be three more shows at least to talk about the process of initiation and the spiritual path and how I came about understanding these lessons but I had been praying a long time when I was teaching classes um back when I was in my 20s which oh was just last month but no long time ago and I I wanted some kind of guidance in law there's this thing called hiding the ball and I felt that here I am trying to teach you know I'm I'm bringing through and down getting downloads of all the spiritual material and I said it doesn't fit together I need some kind of system and then I somehow got the download of these seven lessons and as I was teaching I was learning and it was and then one day I was in the shower and I got this message soul odyssey it's a journey so it really was a direct download or or message from spirit and you know we can talk another time perhaps yes, about you have to come back you know, i know i'd love to i'd really love to teach people about the process of spiritual initiation because it have it's not like you go to a, a guru or to a cult and they initiate you no this is all happening astrally between your soul and the higher beings that are helping us. And it's sort of like if anyone watches um, Star Trek, they have the prime directive. They are there to help and guide, but they can't interfere with the actual uh, choices and the conflicts on the planets that they visit. Well, it's the same thing with this I would call it the spiritual council or whatever, these um, higher beings who are watching over us and guiding us to be better. They will guide us. They will share. They'll give clues, but they're not going to take away our free will. And so any kind of mess we make of our world is because of us and because we don't realize that we are all connected. 
So, you know, whether, uh, you know, whatever your tradition, if you look at the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that is such a spiritual truth because we are all connected. So if you are prejudiced or racist or hatist, you are hating yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes no sense. So it's a house divided against itself. And that's kind of the state of the world we're in right now. And we can change it. And that's another reason I'm encouraging, you know, people who who have something to say and may not know how and are too afraid to say it, to say it and let your audience find you because we all need to find each other so that we can raise the vibration and undo this big negative energy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, raise the vibration. And you know, I'm almost crying, Deborah. <laughs> you are awesome. You, yeah, it's such an inspiration. Well, <laughs> you're awesome too. And I, I feel so, so grateful to be able to share this with your audience. You know, I've kind of kept... I've kept a little quiet over the years until I felt called back to my spiritual work. And one day I just got the tap on the shoulder. You better get to work. You got to rewrite that book and get it out there. It's time now. Yeah. And, you know, I want writers to also know divine time is its own thing. So if you're writing something, you know, don't worry if it's not out yesterday. Do what's in front of you because this was, you know, 20 years ago. And then now, and it it had a purpose back then, but a lot of people say it was ahead of its time. And that now, that now is the time that it was like preparing the way. And now people are in a different stage. There's more acceptance um, and we've got three generations of people with very different things to say, but each has their place. Yes. And Deborah, you said you tend to not stick to a mainstream path. No. <laughs> Me neither. Okay. So what is your advice to not listening to naysayers. My mother, may she rest in peace, would always say, get over yourself, you know, because there are people who in the moment will be a naysayer, but in all honesty, they don't spend that much time really thinking about you. The internet has become a place for people to get rid of their frustrations and they everybody's got an opinion but it's not relevant if you're connected to that divine inner voice and that 
authenticity. And the courage lesson, for example, is where we know that our truth is God's truth, that it's it's so true to us that we we can't believe otherwise. You need to have thick skin and you need to, and I, I almost hate to say you need to, but the best way is to go through your life knowing that your path is unique and that you will never be like another person. We are snowflake. No, that's not been a great term for people. We are unique. We are like snowflakes. I don't, I'm, a, I'm sorry that people have, have usurped that term and made it something that's, you know, <laughs> an insult to certain groups of people. But truly, the idea of a snowflake as having its own um, complete structure is such a beautiful analogy. And that is, even though we're all the connected and we all have this divine spark, we also carry individual DNA, individual goals, individual um, perspectives. And every single person is a universe with something to add to this bigger picture. So when you can bridge into a sense of faith, that there are no errors and that you as a being are meant to be, even if you have issues with self-love and you think you're unworthy, you are not unworthy. If you saw yourself through God's eyes, it would be through unconditional love, which is how you look at, if you're a person who is well, it is typically how you would look at your child. You know, I, a lot of people say that they didn't understand love until they had a child. And then they didn't realize the capacity for their heart to open and for them to feel this this connection to another human being to where what that person needs and wants is, is almost more important. Now, on the other hand, which is a tough lesson, it's the to part of the tolerance lesson, you know, when we do have children we need to remember that we are still separate and that our paths do not stop because we're raising children it's it's meant to be a parallel path where we're still evolving and developing and maturing but we're guiding and sharing with this other being but that feeling that you would do anything for your child is the way we are seen by God and, and the universe. We are not seen as bad. We are seen as imperfect. Just like when your child goes to stick their hand on the stove, you want to say, you know, hey, don't do that. And it's not because you think your child's bad for going. It's because we're expected to be experimenters mm -hmm. and to be here bumbling around and learning. And so God wouldn't say, you know, I, I just don't believe that God looks at us and says, oh, look at that, you know, that awful person who, you know, made that terrible mistake and, and isn't earning a ton of money or they became addicted to uh, an opioid after having pain or or they had to get a divorce because they chose the wrong person. It's sadness. It's it's oh, please get it. 
understand it and do it better next time so that you can feel the love and the joy that life has to offer and not to be condemned and and to feel this hopelessness you know we we need for people to understand that every life has meaning and that you know some people make these these permanent solutions to temporary problems and and I don't even want to dignify what I'm talking about but we know what I'm talking about we can't let those things happen you know we are responsible for helping people feel connected and appreciated and loved and that's what I hope writers will do and have the courage to get out there and share their voices. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I, I feel so emotional now because your words are so kind. And Deborah, you've been a literary agent. Yes. So you are a major step for some people's dreams. How do you balance this difficult job without demotivating authors? Well, that's a great question. You know, when you're in a position of saying yes or no, you make these decisions. And I'm so glad I've been in that position because you make decisions for very concrete analytical reasons. And if you, and that's why I'm glad I had the law training for all I know, you know, that was one of the reasons I went through it is to understand the structures and mechanisms that are existing in any business. If you understand that how agents and editors decode book proposals and query letters, your work still may not fit the mainstream commercial market, but there are reasons why you will automatically be dismissed or eliminated if you're not following publishing protocols. And those are the things that you can change. And other things you may not be able to change. Right now, I have um, a proposal circulating and I'm married to my agent, but if the publishers are not seeing it, even though I wrote a very good proposal, I have to now think, why are they not seeing it? And I have a choice. Do I drop the project and say, oh, it's just not the right project. But if I believe enough in the project, I'm gonna rewrite the proposal because I'm gonna understand and think and use my analytical brain to try to see it from their perspective. What is it about this project that's causing them to not see it as as the next best book. So that's another part. The second half of this book, or two thirds, is all about understanding the publishing industry and how they think. You you don't wanna follow trends unless you're passionate about it. Years ago, there were all these books about angels. Well, if 
you suddenly decide I'm going to write a book about angels. First of all, if you're really passionate about angels, perfect. However, you still may be too late for the commercial market because if there's a million books out now about angels and that was years ago, so maybe they're ready for more now. But at that time, you know, publishing's 18 months behind. When they acquire a book, it's going to take, it's rare, but it usually takes at least 12 to 18 months before that book will make it to the shelves. So any trend you see was in the works at least a year before or a year and a half before. So you're jumping on a bandwagon that's long since moved or driven away. And, you you know, so you want to be very aware of, of what's happening in the world. You want to maybe follow some, you know, some magazines of the industry. But I recommend you just go inward to what it is that you want to say and then learn everything you can about how to present it to the industry, how to prove that there's a market which you can do with digital marketing nowadays. We didn't have any of that 20 years ago. We didn't have keywords and and search engine optimization where you could actually see how many people are searching for your term. You know, we'd have people write, when I was reading book proposals, every woman should read this book. That's, yeah, maybe, but that's not market research. That's not telling a publisher, I know for sure this demographic, this narrow demographic of women who are concerned about this topic will be interested potentially in this book. So we have a lot, we have many sophisticated tools now to prove the market. We have ways of promoting that you don't have to be on a major talk show. You can develop a platform using methods that didn't exist before. So I don't want anybody to be discouraged, but you also have to be professional. You can't wake up one day if you had a different career and say, I'm going to be a best-selling author. You have to learn and you have to perfect your writing. You're going to, you know, you have to have it professionally edited and not by your friends, you know, (laughs) you got to do the work. Yeah. But I don't want anybody to be discouraged. Thank you, Deborah. Yes, long time ago, it was impossible to know what to do. Uh, it was very difficult, not impossible, but it was very difficult. I always, Very difficult. Yeah, to be an author. But in those times, I said, how come? I have no idea of how to start. My husband was a pioneer, is a pioneer. Um, he's got this book coming out in a, in a new edition he started this book in the nine, early 90s and it sold well over half a million copies and changed the industry and i didn't realize when i first met him that he was starting out and i was starting out and i mean i knew him for 8 years before we actually got together and got married but he realized that the gatekeepers were standing in everyone's way, including the literary agents. And he found a way around it. And he's been teaching writers all about the industry since the 90s. So, you know, we are both very dedicated. 
Um, I, I'm more of, you know, the esoteric stuff and he's a little more snarky than I am, but he's actually very nice. <laughs> and we don't, we don't reject people because we want to reject them. There are reasons because literary agents, which I'm, I'm not agenting now, but we still have the agency. We're not paid unless we sell the book. It's all commission-based and it's nothing personal. We, you know, we have to look at something and our thought process is, can I sell this? Will people buy this? What's in it for the reader? Is there a market? And so writers need to not just write, they need to learn all of these things to be successful. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think I'll get his book as well. Because yes. Oh, well, I'd be delighted. What is his book's title? It's Jeff Herman's Guide to Book Publishers, Editors, and Literary Agents. Okay. And his, and his website is uh, jeffherman.com. And he's been teaching writers for eons. We also have a, a, I've been forgetting to mention it, we have a social network the more people use it, the more alive it is, but it's writersnetworking.com. And there's about 4,000 writers on there. But, you know, we get busy with other things, but you can ask questions, you can connect with each other, join groups. We're hoping to uh, really do more with it. Um, but it's got blogs and things that people can present. We we really want to support writers. and And of course, for the people on the spiritual path, souloddesseybooks.com has all the information. And I even just added a page about the automatic drawing. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to get that people are interested in that and see yes. that it's a very cool thing. For sure. I'll be checking out your page. And Deborah, are you currently working on anything you would like to share with us? Well, I'm working on two books, but I can't really announce them until they're certain. Uh, it looks very frightening, but I wrote the memoir of the youngest member of the Manson family cult. And I really like writing memoir. Um, it's a very triumphant story of, um, which is why in the spiritual writing book, I talk a lot about how these things happen because um, Diane's book, uh, her name is Diane Lake, is, and it's called Member of the Family. But Diane's book really shows how the least expected person could wind up in that situation. And she's such a, um, you know, she didn't participate in the crimes and wound up, um, thank God, believe me, thank God for her too. He, he wouldn't have considered her. She was a kid. And he kept trying to get rid of her. And she was not, fortunately for her, she was the type that wouldn't buy into a lot of things, but she was with them and got stuck in uh, the desert after the crimes were committed and they all confessed to her and she was stuck with them. <laughs> yeah. So finally they were all arrested and she told the bailiff, I'm only... 16 and I want my mommy that's her you know she always says that when she's interviewed she's amazing and 
it, ultimately she testified against them at the age of 17. It's the most beautiful story. Um, and it opened me up to understanding more about storytelling and memoir. So I have, you know, two books in the works. And really right now, I just want to teach and help writers through my spiritual work and through the spiritual writing book. That's really my my goal right now. Um, and, you know, to work with people with their animals and the seven lessons. So that's a lot. That's enough. <laughs> it keeps me busy. Yeah. So you're still like the little girl who is called do the don't stop. Evie do it all. <laughs> yes, I am and proud of it. I like so many things. Um, you know, we're only here for a blink. Yeah. So um, it's you try to make the best of it. And I'm really happy too. I do have a grandson and he's three. And I get to, um, and he's a clone of my son. He looks just like him, except one had curly hair and my grandson has straight hair. And just seeing that, you know, wonder through a, a child again is, and when I'm not, you know, working full time and raising two other kids at the same time, I mean, it's, it's so much easier to be a grandparent and it's wonderful. I can't imagine when my daughter has kids. I know. I I'm just over the moon. I don't know when my if my girls will, but my son, you know, he he he's done all right. He's given me this uh, wonderful grandchild, um, and it's amazing to see this next generation. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people are saying, "Well, the world is so crazy. I don't know if I want to bring a child in." This new generation of children is, I hate, again, I hate cliche, but it is, they are the future. They're coming in so aware and, and loving and Accepting. open. I just really think that it's, their souls are just meant to be on this planet. Yeah. Um, I'm so concerned about climate change and I feel so sorry for the kids because there are so many things happening and yeah, this is... But I we also... can change it and we start here. Yeah. yeah. We can change it and we, we move away from fear to faith because then we get answers. If we're all bogged down with worry, my horse, because I do animal communication, my horse told me that. He, the one who, who's already passed away, I have another horse now, but when I finally realized that I could communicate with him, he told me, and I'm not joking, at first I thought I was crazy, but I realized he was really talking to me. He said, we worry too much. And when we all worry, we can't resolve we can't solve problems because we can't hear and we can't see the signs. We can't see nature telling us how to change things. You know, we get these big signs like, like being stuck at home with a pandemic. That was a huge sign, but it caused so many of us to shift our priorities. 
we have to pay attention to these things because they are real signs and we can we can leave this world a better place than we found it yeah i have a hundred percent faith in that hopefully <laughs> and deborah where can our listeners find you find your books i know you gave us already your website but where can we find your book or books any retailer uh, some of them that are older will only be on some of the online retailers or third-party sellers. But if you go to any bookstore and ask for spiritual writing from inspiration to publication, they should have it or order it for you. The online retailers have it. And souloddesseybooks.com is now kind of my de facto personal website because <laughs> it has my book. It's got you know information about me. Um, and uh, I hope people will contact me there as yeah, well. I hope so. And Deborah, you are on the Relatable Voice magazine this December issue, and your article is just beautiful. So to our listeners, please also check www.relatable-media.com. So, Deborah, thank you so much thank for your you. time. Thank you. This was wonderful. You're a wonderful energy, and I really appreciate you. Likewise. And please come back. Anytime. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.